Ladies and gentlemen, those of you from this world and the next, it gives me great pleasure to present the Satanic Player Society, traveling sideshow of the macabre. Join us as we bring you wonders from the abyss, prose from the shadows, and tales of horror and madness. Now, it brings me great joy to introduce tonight's performers, each bringing their own skills and talents to the show. Please be standing and give a round of applause for... Citizen Horror, the two-headed wonder. One head is female, the other male. But it takes three beauties in Japan. From an estivious duo come together, your mind will be irrevocably desecrated. Gregory, the psychic. Come with him and gaze into the mystic portal. He can see your future. He can see your past and present. He can also foretell your doom. Jesse, the roustabout. She tightens our ropes. She builds the stage in which we stand. And she mends the canvas. She also hides the bodies. Oh, you're in for a treat tonight, my friends. Sit back and relax as our wonderful treat brings you Therianthrope, created by M.R. Stover. Jacoby Ash twists the accelerator on his motorcycle, gunning his bike down the hot summer highway towards his destination. He is older than anybody you know, living or dead, yet beneath his black t-shirt and blue jeans, his body is still that of a man in his prime. His hair is cut short, almost bald, yet it is a deep brown and holds no hint of gray. He wears a long jacket made of thick leather that conceals a variety of weapons, both modern and ancient. And he remembers, as he often does while on the way to carry out the devil's orders, of events that transpired long ago. They killed my family. I can still see their bodies. My wife, my daughters, and my son, who had yet to see his first snowfall. When they came, the four of them, I could smell them long before I saw them. Dirty, unwashed filth that struck me from behind and drove a dagger through my back and out my stomach. They broke my leg and yanked free the weapon, leaving me to bleed out and die while they conducted their vile work. When I came to, they had finished with my family. Blood stained their clothing, and they were carrying out whatever valuables I owned. They had their backs to me, but one of them glanced over his shoulder at me and I saw his face and marked it in my memory. His face was pockmarked and his smile revealed rotten black teeth. There was a fresh cut across his face, no doubt received from my wife as she defended herself. The cut would leave a scar. As I lay dying in the year of 1337, I prayed for the first time since I had been taken by my baron to fight in one of the wars that plagued the land. I prayed, but not to God or his son Jesus Christ, but to the Avenger, the prideful one. I prayed that I may seek vengeance from these rotten men who had robbed me of my most cherished treasure, my family. As my life's blood poured out of my body, I prayed, Lord Satan, 
Grant me life so that I may seek vengeance. I bargain with my soul. Hear me, Lord. Amen. My prayer became an incantation, and as my vision faded to black as I was dying, my prayer was answered. I felt life build inside me, and I rose up like a phoenix from the ashes and took up my daggers and my hammer and sought those men who had wronged me. Lord Satan heard my cry and answered my prayers. He remade me in his image, an immortal demigod with untold powers. For my soul, he charged me with the task of exterminating all creatures that tipped the scales of justice and bring those rotten beings to his throne for judgment. I became as a god of fire. Wraith was my name, and I sought those four who had wronged me, and I peeled the skin from their bones. The bike thundered down the road, and upon seeing a green sign marked Copper Road, Jacoby twisted the brake of his motorcycle and took the road out to a small town named Kennedy and pulled up outside a dinghy bar called Mel's. The parking lot was crowded, even though it was only seven o'clock. Country music was blaring from inside, and he turned off his motorcycle, kicking the stand down with his heavy boots. He searched behind his back to seize a wooden-handled object in his thick, leather-gloved hands, his war hammer, an ancient and well-used weapon. Jacoby approached the door, which had a trash can by it, swarming with flies. He paused, hefting his weapon across his shoulder, and listened to a voice that was distant, as if speaking through a deep, watery abyss mixed with the buzzing of the flies. It told him, Kevin Johnson is inside. Jacoby nodded and entered the bar and stopped just inside the doorway to allow his eyes to adjust to the dim light before scanning the room, spotting a man amongst all the revelry. Kevin Carlson. Kevin was seated amongst a group of other men and women. All of them were holding bottles of beer and were laughing at some joke or ribald remark. Jacoby approached Kevin's table and received a few funny looks. He was a stranger and was carrying a strange object in his hand that most people didn't recognize. Jacoby locked his eyes on the man and thought, Kevin Carlson, no one knows about the young girl you took and killed. The body was never found, and justice has eluded you. You think you're safe, but before tonight's over, all shall know your crime, and all present shall see your punishment and your torment. Kevin's body is what you would expect from an average blue-collar worker, beefy and muscular underneath layers of fat, a body used to labor and no stranger to fast food and booze. His hair is long and stringy, and his jaw is almost absent underneath his jowls, and his forehead is covered with sweat from the hot environment. Kevin was laughing and grabbed a woman next to him playfully on the shoulder, and she giggled. Jacoby walked up to the table and stared directly at Kevin, his posture threatening. Kevin didn't notice for a few minutes, and when he did, the patrons of the bar paused what they were doing in anticipation of trouble. Kevin asked, his tone arrogant and cocky. What do you want? Jacoby said nothing, and Kevin asked, Looking for trouble, stranger? Jacoby smiled, shifting his warhammer from his right to his left hand, and grabbed the end of the table and said, My name is Jacoby Ash, Kevin, and I know about the girl. Helen Summers. Kevin's mouth gaped in surprise at the mention of his victim's name issuing from the mouth of a threatening stranger. 
Jacoby threw the table over on its side, scattering those seated around it and all of their respective drinks, and shouted, Now, it's time to pay. Kevin sat there, rooted on the spot in his shock. His legs spread wide, and Jacoby struck down with his hammer, driving the spike into his genitals, pinning him to the chair. Blood spattered Jacoby's coat, and some patrons who saw what was happening began to flee. Kevin screamed in pain, and Jacoby flung aside his coat and drew two daggers that were 13 inches in length and razor sharp. Jacoby cut Kevin's throat with one slash and then nearly decapitated him with another, severing both jugulars. Bright red blood ran down his chest in rivulets and his head fell forwards, tilting grotesquely to the side, held to his body by nothing but the remnants of his spine. The patrons of the bar reacted in different ways. Some screamed, others scattered, and a few began to reach for their cell phones to call the authorities, and those less stout ran for the exit. When the head of Kevin Carlson began to confess his crime, all activity stopped as the patrons were stunned to silence. She was 15. I took her and I held a knife to her throat. I forced her to the ground and began to cut off small pieces of her body. Oh, she died in a pool of blood and I loved it. I took the pieces up to Crete's Pass and dumped them down an abandoned mine shaft. Kevin began to scream in agony as his body began to engulf in a bright green flames. Jacoby removed his hammer and sheathed it behind his back and walked out the door. No one tried to stop him, and he got on his bike again and kicked the bike's stand out from under and started the engine. He peeled away from the bar and began to head down the dirt road, back onto the highway. Twilight faded to night and he sought the shelter and comforts of the man he once was. Jacoby found another small town among the lonesome highway and paid for a room at a cheap motel in cash that he often confiscated from those whose lives he had taken. The man behind the counter, a skinny fellow, barely glanced up at him, so engrossed with the latest copy of Maxim in his hand that he simply took the money and handed him a key, telling Jacoby, It's number 15. It's on the left side, down a ways. Jacoby grunted, saying, My change? Oh yeah. The man dug in the counter and handed him $75 and some loose change. He opened up the magazine and held it above his head to look at a picture of a model and continued to ignore Jacoby. Jacoby left and walked down to his room and unlocked the door. The room was as you would expect from some cheap motel at the edge of the highway in some remote town. The bed had blankets and sheets on them that looked like they needed to be replaced, and the TV was a bit old but serviceable. A lamp set on the desk that held a pad for writing and a menu for a restaurant. Jacoby made sure the lights worked before going to the local gas station to buy himself a pack of cigarettes and a bottle of Jack Daniels. When his purchase was complete, he took his possessions back with him to the motel and opened the door and sat down on the bed. He tapped the cigarette pack against his palm and pulled one from the pack and lit it up with a Zippo lighter from his coat pocket. He inhaled deeply and poured a bit of water into a plastic cup that was provided by the motel and used it as an ashtray. He unsealed the bottle of Jack and took a swig of the warming fluid, feeling the whiskey kick him in the back of the throat with all the familiarity he remembered since he first tried the bourbon. The hour approached 10 p.m., just in time for the local news, and he clicked on the tube and found the right channel. The reporter, a woman of some attractiveness, all dolled up with her hair styled professionally, wearing a blue business suit, began to relay tonight's big story. 
Her makeup-coated face held a serious expression as she spoke. The screen flashed and the camera went to the scene of the accident where one man, plain-looking in his professional attire, stated to the camera, Unusual indeed, Mary. I'm here at the Mel's Bar here in Kennedy where one man was claimed by a fire that supposedly started while he was drinking. Witnesses stated that the man, Kevin Carlson, got the cigarette on himself and apparently caught himself on fire when the lit cigarette made contact with liquor that he had spilt on himself. We have here now the owner of the bar. Jacoby turned the television off. There wasn't going to be any mention of him killing that piece of shit Carlson. It was the way it had always been. Jacoby came and went as a ghost, fading from mortal memory quickly, leaving behind only a sense of deja vu and a brief period of lost time. He knew days later some curious bystander would go up to the mineshaft Carlson had mentioned and suddenly discover human remains, and the family and friends of Helen Summers could have some peace of mind, knowing the fate she had been found and later a connection would be made somehow linking Carlson to the act, and the families could rest in peace knowing that her killer had met such a strange and violent fate. Contemplating, Jacoby finished his cigarette and focused on the whiskey, downing the intoxicating liquid in large gulps and listening to the faint sound of cars on a distant highway. He missed the quiet of his life in the Middle Ages, out in the country, but not the strife he had to go through, never knowing if he would die this year from disease, starvation, diarrhea, or war. He took another long pull of his bottle and lit another cigarette, and when he blew the smoke out he saw a red-faced apparition appear in the shadows of the corner, its features partially hidden in the shadows. Jacoby bowed in respect for the entity. It was a messenger from his master, with his next assignment, no doubt. The thing finished manifesting, its eyes shining bright red in the shadows, triggering Jacoby's own effect when in the presence of creatures from hell. The whites of his eyes shone in necromantic green. The devil spoke to him. Ah, Jacoby. It's good to see you again, my friend. Jacoby took a swig of his JD and said, it's been a long time, Azazel. Last time I saw you, I had to kill a satyr in Greece, so you must have something big for me. The devil named Azazel sighed in a dramatic fashion. <sighs> I do. A bigger assignment than the last, and more urgent as well. What we have on our hands is a werewolf named Eonexus. Let me tell you about him. Eonexus is ancient. He was a Gaul who's lived since the time of the Romans and has been a cunning creature then and he is even more so now. He's been eating children in the city of New Hope beyond the mountains, south of here in the desert flatlands. The death toll is high and he needs to be stopped. Jacoby sighed, tilting back the bottle and drinking more. He wiped his lips and said, Alright, tell me the details. How do I find him? Azazel began. He's located in the urban sprawl and is in one of the largest cities in the United States. His exact whereabouts are hidden even to us. He's taken great pains to hide his location from all, which is how he's able to take as many children as his appetite desires. We think he's roughly between the streets of Westerton and Burrowley, covering a square of rough neighborhoods fraught with crime and poverty. He needs to be stopped, Jacoby. Are you up to the task? Jacoby lit another cigarette. Of course I am. But the master know I'm on it. As soon as I get some sleep, I'll be on my way first thing in the morning. Azazel revealed a fanged smile and said, Well done, Jacoby. We're counting on you. 
Kill Eonexus and bring him to justice. He began to fade from this world. Azazel disappeared from sight and Jacoby killed the rest of his bottle of JD and tossed the empty into the trash. He decided it was a good idea to sleep, to regenerate his energy, to prepare himself for the upcoming journey and the battle that was to ensue. Jacoby made himself comfortable and took off his boots and his coat, setting aside the weapons he carried with him, his two daggers he kept close at hand. The two Glock 45s with extra ammunition he left in his belt and hung up on a nearby chair. He set his hammer on the ground, leaving it within reach, should he need it, and slept. In the morning, Jacoby recovered his weapons and concealed them under his coat and took his bike down to the gas station where he bought his cigarettes and his Jack Daniels. He refueled his transportation and then got on the highway. The air whipped through his coat and he caught the scent of pine and spruce that crossed over the mountains, descending into the heat of the desert as he came down the mountains after several hours of travel. He began to see the outline of the urban sprawl of the city of New Hope glistening in the sunlight and figured he was still at least hours away from entering the major city. He was right. He had to stop twice for gas before he even began to enter the towns outside the city. The slow crawl of traffic was the first indication that he was getting close to his destination. He slowed his bike to a steady pace and noted the mileage signs, reducing in number, indicating how many were left before reaching the sign that said, Welcome to New Hope. Population, 596,424. He arrived at night and followed the signs that led to Burrowley, deeper in the city. He knew he was in a rough part of town once the landscape was dominated by buildings displaying either cash advance or a pawn shop. Few people were out. Some were ladies of the night. Others were shady-looking folk, quickly going about their business. Jacoby ignored them all and looked for a cheap hotel that he could hole up at. He found one. It looked a little less run down than the others he had passed, but not by much. It was called the Stars Motel, and it was nestled in the corner of a poorly lit street with a few vacant stores and what looked to be a small apartment building. There was a store at the opposite corner that displayed a sign that read, Liquor and Food, which in part was why Jacoby chose that particular motel in the first place. He parked his bike out front of the Stars Motel and checked in with another man who, like the last place he'd stayed in, held a similar disinterest in him. The man gave him a key to room five. Jacoby rode his bike and parked it in front of his room. He unlocked his door and found the room to be in even more shambles than the last one and found no menu advertising the local restaurant. He took that as a sign not to eat tonight. Instead, he went over to the store with the sole intention of purchasing another bottle of Jack and a fresh pack of cigarettes. When he walked in the door, he stopped dead in his tracks and looked at a bulletin board that held an unbelievable amount of missing children posters. Most of them were official, from the Missing Children's Association, and others which were posted by the families independently. A variety of rewards for information were displayed, with monies up to the tens of thousands. Hastily, he bought his booze and smokes and went back to his motel. Jacoby unlocked the door to his room and stepped inside, immediately lighting a cigarette and cracking open the bottle of Jack, taking long, hasty swigs of the whiskey. It was late and he was actually tired. The ride had jostled his body and the whiskey was having an effect on him he rarely experienced. He equated it to not eating at all for days. 
His body processed things differently than that of the normal human being. He didn't actually need any sustenance, but the effect of ingesting food and alcohol did have an effect on him, slight as it was. After about half of the 750 milliliter bottle, he felt he needed to sleep and did so. He didn't even bother to place his weapons within reach. He tossed them on the chair and kicked off his boots, removed his coat, and then lay on top of the covers and fell asleep. In the morning when Jacoby awoke, he visited the small town store that wasn't quite a grocery store and wasn't quite a convenience store, with the sole intention of purchasing a bit of food. A lady was taping another flyer to the board and he watched her. The lady was wiping tears from the corners of her eyes, and Jacoby glanced at the smiling face of a young girl who couldn't have been more than eight years old. The picture showed a girl with a huge smile on her face, and Jacoby couldn't help himself from saying something to the lady. He told her, We'll get the guy responsible for all of this. I promise you that. Jacoby shook the feeling of her sadness and urgency off and made his purchase. He took his items back to his room and threw a couple frozen hamburgers in the microwave the hotel had provided him and ate in silence as he waited for nightfall. He knew where Anexus was supposed to be at, and he didn't want the werewolf to catch wind that he was in town. He wished to confront the beast on his own terms and decided that some legwork was necessary. He checked to see if his Glock 45s had full magazines and bullets in the chamber, as well as the location of his extra magazines, and ensured that his knives had keen edges on them. Satisfied, he departed into the urban jungle, cruising his bike around the streets of Westertown and Burleigh, peering into the dark alleys and down deserted side streets while the moon was high up in the sky. He focused primarily on the residential areas, hoping to catch the werewolf and his hunting ground. Not as many people were out as one might expect, and certainly not any children. The few people he did see checked out as not being odd to Jacoby's senses, meaning they were not of a supernatural nature, until he spotted one lone man wearing tattered brown clothing. He was broad-shouldered and tall and didn't seem to have much of a Jacoby stopped his bike at the curb of the side street and hastily walked towards the man, his hands resting on the hilts of his daggers. The man's back was to him, and as Jacoby came closer, he turned around and faced him, sniffing the air, a look of confusion on his face. His eyes were yellow, like those of a wolf or a dog, and Jacoby knew that Aonexus stood before him. Jacoby drew his knives, and Aonexus locked eyes with him and snarled. He knew who, and he knew what Jacoby was, and what kind of danger he was in. Suddenly, the werewolf drew an ancient gladius that had been hidden amongst his tattered tweed coat and yelled, you die, Hellspawn! And as quickly as that, the fight was on. Aonexus attacked with a low to high slash, and Jacoby brought his knives up in one swift motion, catching the wolf's strike on the flat of his two blades and counterattacked, slicing deeply into Aonexus's wrist with his right-hand knife. The werewolf grunted and immediately began to regenerate his flesh and continue to fight. Jacoby moved in time with Aonexus, clashing steel and exchanging blows. Aonexus moved quickly, making Jacoby dance defensively to avoid being skewered by the enemy's blade, while he expertly used his dual daggers to parry and slash, stab and feint. He landed cuts across Aonexus's face, stomach and hands, stabbing him in the sides where his kidneys and livers would be, and ripping the tip of his blade across the werewolf's yellow eye. Despite Jacoby's skills, Aonexus was faster and had equal skill in the art of fence as Jacoby did. He made equally devastating cuts and thrusts to Jacoby. 
Jacoby sustained a deep stab wound to his abdomen that left him bent over in agony, and a slice to the skull that penetrated his brain, knocking him to the ground, giving ANS his time to flee into the dark shadows of a nearby alley. Both opponents, however, were regenerators, and the fight was far from over. Jacoby gave himself a moment before his wounds were healed and chased the werewolf into the alley. The delay gave Aenexus a chance to transform, assuming his wolfman form, increasing his speed, agility, strength, and senses. Jacoby could see him flitting from shadow to shadow, trying to circle around Jacoby to strike unexpectedly. Jacoby chased him round and round, and when he was able to see the silhouette of the unmistakable wolfman, he drew his pistols and unleashed a barrage of bullets. The werewolf took the rounds and fell down before quickly recovering and leaping on top of a nearby building. Jacoby continued to follow the sounds of him moving overhead with his eyes and his pistols, and he shouted at Aeonexus, My children! A deep, rumbling laugh, nearer overhead than Jacoby felt comfortable with, ended with a menacing shout. Because children are magically delicious! Jacoby pointed his pistols in the direction the voice had come from and fired two shots from his Glock 45s, then two more at the figure he could perceive running against the walls. A bestial cry of fury indicated that he had struck his mark, and he continued to empty his magazines into the silhouetted form of Anexus. His slides came back, and he began to reload fresh magazines into his weapons when he was struck with enough force to slam him into the chain-link fence at the far side of the alley. He discarded his empty weapons and procured his warhammer just in time to slam into the skull of Aeonexus. The wolfman fell to Jacoby's feet with a whelp of pain, much like a dog. Jacoby yanked his daggers free and was about to strike out, separating the beast's head from its shoulders, when Aeonexus leapt to his feet and stabbed Jacoby through the forehead with his gladius and abandoned his weapons to flee, assuming Jacoby was dead. And for all appearances, he was. He had ceased to breathe, and blood pooled around his skull, and he lay motionless for some time. Several hours later, Jacoby began to regenerate. He became conscious and pulled the ancient gladius from his head, screaming in agony as he drew the wide steel blade from his skull. He didn't like to die. It was always painful, and no matter how grievous his wounds were, he always managed to return, a symptom of his deal and a fact of his fate. He picked himself up off the ground and returned to his motorcycle. He drove back to his hotel. He went inside his room and found that he still had half a bottle of JD left, and he consumed it quickly, feeling that he deserved a drink after being killed by a werewolf. He slept until later in the day and decided that a shower would do him some good. At least it would clean off all the dried blood caked to his face and in his hair. He waited until nightfall and shut off all the lights and whispered into the shadows. Zazel. I could use some help. Moments later, a voice from the shadows said, Having trouble, Jacoby? Jacoby responded, Yeah, I need to find the bastard's lair. He's cleverer than we thought. Azazel made a contemplative sound and said, Yes, he escaped even our most careful scrutiny for several years before he made the mistake of binge eating. We were able to locate his general whereabouts only through the use of some of our more humble connections, humans who had made small alliances with our forces. Azazel materialized more fully and had a thoughtful look on his red face. There is a man who has been a great help in locating the general area of VNX's whereabouts. I'll contact him. Tell him to meet you. He might be able to help you in your hunt. Jacoby rasped in acknowledgement 
and Azazel disappeared and Jacoby soon fell asleep. When the dawn crept in, he saw a note at the end of the table that was inscribed with red ink. Jacoby crumbled the note and set it in his pocket. He checked his weapons, making sure he had enough ammunition, and his knives were well honed. He even added the gladius to his arsenal, concealing it behind the folds of his coat. The location was some distance away, but he made good time on his bike and arrived at the location. It was a busy little gem in the middle of an urban jungle, and he could smell brewing coffee in the air. In the corner of the building was a dark-skinned man of slight build with a small goatee. He was holding a paper cup of coffee in one hand, and held another cup with a brown paper bag in the other. He appeared to be waiting for someone, so Jacoby approached, and Jacoby flashed him the sign of the horns with his left hand, index finger and pinky outstretched, middle ring and thumb closed into a fist. Regis The man said, Good. I've been waiting for you. Our benefactor said that you'd be here sometime this morning. Name's Andrew. Jacoby reached over and shook his hand, saying, Jacoby Ash. The man smiled and said, No need to introduce a legend. I got you something. Claire has the best ham and cheese, panini, and coffee around here. Hope you're hungry. Jacoby took the bag and cup from him and quickly devoured the sandwich and downed the coffee. He told Andrew, Thanks. That was pretty good. Beats the hell out of whiskey and frozen cheeseburgers. Andrew nodded. Good. Let's get down to business. I've been watching for the werewolf for a while now, and even now I'm not entirely sure of his lair. But I've been able to isolate the majority of the first missing children to an area that's near where I live. They departed the cafe, and Andrew led Jacoby to the area he thought might house the killer, and Jacoby searched around. Indeed, something was off within the vicinity of the area where Andrew had suspected the werewolf. Jacoby slowly and carefully stalked the surroundings, his hands never far from his weapons. The area was eerily absent of most signs of life, even in the urban sprawl. Little trash and debris littered the surface of the concrete, and there was a significant lack of spray paint tags on the walls. Jacoby didn't notice any animals of any kind, but the area held the strong smell of urine, and he could see dark, wet marks on the walls, starting higher up on the walls than any dog or an average-sized man could make. There was a bit of blood on some of the corners of the walls, and he traced a very slight rust-colored stain that led into the wash. Jacoby leapt into the wash and began to examine the area. A small object near a grate caught his eye. It appeared to be a piece of fabric that was pink in color. He walked over to it and picked the object up. It was a shoe, a child's shoe, and there was only half of it. It looked like it had been chewed and partially digested. He knew then that he had Anexus pinned and tested the grate with his hands, pulling it towards himself. The grate moved slightly, and he surmised that whoever lifted the grate had to possess incredible strength or be a modern machine. Lucky for him, Jacoby could will himself into incredible peaks of strength. He pulled harder on the grate, and it began to creak and give. He strained his muscles, pulling harder. The grate loosened, and he ripped it open and held it above his head, setting it down at his side. Andrew was watching him, and Jacoby told him, Hey, uh, listen, you might want to leave. Maybe hang out nearby and wait for me. Andrew nodded that he would and departed. Jacoby drew the gladius and leapt down into the drainage tunnel and began to search, seeking out the wolf. The tunnels were dark and smelt of old and rotted sewage. He proceeded as cautiously as he could, straining his senses to locate his prey. His nose caught the scent of wet dog, urine, 
and the sharp, tangy scent of blood. His ears picked up the sound of deep breathing, and he followed the sound to a deep, isolated location inside the tunnels. His eyes began to make out shapes inside the dark room. What he saw both excited him and shocked him. Aenexus lay sleeping in his hybrid wolfman form, snoring contentedly. Around him, in pet carriers designed to hold medium-sized dogs, were several children. The eyes of a little girl wandered in his direction, and she gave a gasp of surprise which woke Aenexus. Large, yellow wolf eyes opened on Aenexus's massive head, and Jacoby leapt forward, ramming the gladius into his skull, returning the favor from last night. Aenexus reared to his full height, howling in pain. Jacoby drew his knives and began a relentless assault on the wolf's stomach. His hands moved with shocking speed, and when he withdrew his knives, he flung globs of blood around the room. Aenexus recovered from his pain and shock, and clawed Jacoby across the stomach with one of his massive paws, sending bits of Jacoby's intestines splattering across the far wall, momentarily disabling him while his body regenerated. Aenexus lunged forward, snapping his massive jaws towards Jacoby's throat. Jacoby managed to shove his left forearm into the jaws, and while Aenexus was busy breaking the bones of his arm, chewing through his flesh, Jacoby assailed his skull with his free knife. He plunged the tip of his dagger into the werewolf's eyes and gouged out the yellow ball, making a complete mess of his face. When Jacoby gouged out the other eye, it was enough for Aenexus to release most of Jacoby, tearing his arm completely from its socket. Jacoby howled in pain and fled a ways down the tunnel while his blood-spurting stump began to grow in the arm. He could hear Aenexus snarling as his face returned itself to its previous form, and Jacoby could see one, then two yellow eyes staring at him from the darkness beyond. He sheathed his dagger and drew his right-hand pistol, quickly emptying sixteen hollow-point slugs into the ancient's body, each entering with a small hole and leaving with a devastating exit wound. The bullets only slowed Aenexus down, but it gave Jacoby enough time to grow back his arm. The werewolf rushed him, and he was upon him quicker than he would have liked, attacking his other arm, seeking to fully cripple him before he could regenerate. As thorough a job as he had done with Aenexus's head, he knew that that wasn't going to be enough. He had to butcher the carcass and cut out the beast's heart. Jacoby seized his dagger and tackled the flailing wolf's corpse, pinning it to the ground with his knees. He grabbed the right-hand claw and cut it off, then cut off the left, disabling the body from doing any further damage to his person for the nonce. He cut open Aenex's chest cavity, pushing and sawing his blade deeply into the strong cartilage between the ribs, and ripped Aenex's chest wide open with his hands. Already he could feel the werewolf's body begin to heal, and he reached his hands inside the chest cavity and seized Aenex's massive heart in his hands, pulling it out and tearing all the connecting arteries and veins that clung to the beast's still beating heart. Jacoby crushed the heart between his fingers. All the bits and pieces of Aenexus burst into green flames, and his body began to sizzle away like paper thrown into a fire. In seconds, the ancient Gaelic werewolf was ash and dust, and Jacoby kicked and scattered the soot, further preventing the beast from returning from the dead. He sat there a moment, catching his breath before going to retrieve his weapons. 
Once his weapons were in place, Jacoby returned to the room and opened all of the cages that held the children and retrieved the gladius which he decided he would keep as a trophy. A few of the cages were empty and he despaired. He didn't see the child that was in the picture that the woman at the store had pinned up, but the others were alive and well. He was thankful that he could at least save a few. Jacoby hoped in his cold, black heart that they would grow and be happy, forgetting anything that they had seen or witnessed while in the clutches of the monster. Jacoby led the remaining children through the tunnels back up to the surface and looked for Andrew. The man was already running towards him, skidding on his heels to a stop right before bowling over the kids. He exclaimed, Holy shit! You did it, man! Wow, you look like hell! Jacoby replied, Yeah, I had a rabid dog to put down. Chewed up my arm pretty good. And he tore my coat. He showed Andrew his exposed arm and the blood-stained and shredded sleeve of his other arm. Andrew asked him, What now? Jacoby reached inside his pocket and procured his Zippo in a cigarette and lit it. He inhaled, letting out the smoke in a puff, saying, You take him to the nearest house, call the police, and tell them you found him wandering around in the wash. Say you recognize him from the missing children's flyers. Answer the authorities' questions and then get on with your life. Andrew nodded, extending his hand to Jacoby. Jacoby took it and shook. Andrew asked him, What about you? What are you going to do now? Jacoby smiled. Well, first I'm going to go back to my room, drink a bottle of whiskey and sleep. Then I'm going to get on my bike, find a new jacket and get out of town. I don't really care for big cities. Andrew nodded, saying, Well, glad I could help you. Take care of yourself. Jacoby promised that he would and left. Got on his bike and went back to his room. It was getting dark outside, and he stripped and showered the blood off of himself and cleaned his clothes. Feeling refreshed, he decided that it was time for that whiskey. So he walked out to the main part of his room and saw that Azazel was waiting for him. He exclaimed, Already? Must be something big since it's you again. Azazel smiled. Even bigger than the last. And further away. Jacoby sighed. Alright, let's hear it. Azazel began, What we have here is a revenant. You know what a revenant is, right, Jacoby? Jacoby groaned. He hated ghost hunting. Next time. What do you think? Will you let us in?